Hello, everyone. This is Walid Faza, partner at Wamda Capital. And this is episode 11, where I'll be speaking with Mr. Ali Abu Kamil, senior private sector specialist at the World Bank, about the MENA competitiveness report and his insights for the region. Maybe we can start off and say that you have recently moved from Washington to DC to Jordan. That's a, that's a pretty big move. Uh, so what brings you to Jordan? Well, it's a very interesting move, and uh, as you're probably aware, I mean, the World Bank didn't have a big presence in uh, Jordan until very recently, where our country uh, uh, or the uh, country management unit here decided that this is a very important uh, country in the region, and it is uh, going through a, a very sensitive time that would require a lot of support, some of which are financial support, but the other is also advisory support uh, to make sure that this country maintains the, uh, or, or picks up on the growth level and as, at the same time support private sector development. So in this capacity, they're sending, uh, or in following that rationale, they're sending experts from the World Bank in D.C. to support in different areas. So I'm one of five people who have just joined the World Bank in, in, in Jordan to support different practices. Fantastic. But uh, as a private sector specialist uh, in the region, your mandate is a regional mandate. Well, in Jordan for the next year, it's going to be Jordan, actually. Yeah, the Jordan yeah. focus. Yeah. Okay. So prior to that, you've been looking at the region. Yeah. Um, we deal with a lot of our audiences, a lot of tech entrepreneurs and people that right. are in the uh, entrepreneurial ecosystem on a regional level. Um, let us know a little bit how it's been. What's the view of the World Bank and yourself, of the region specifically, how it's been changing? And then we'll really bring it down to the... Um, to the printing of the of the Arab World Competitive Report, Competitiveness Report of 2018, and really, what was the driver in order for you to get that report, and what you hope to do with it? So maybe we can start off right. by giving us a little bit of an overview of the region, how you're seeing yeah. it change. <clears throat> well, as you said, my focus has been on SME development and entrepreneurship development, so that has been sort of the area I was working on uh, for the last uh, 10 years or so, and uh, working across these different countries, you would see that there has been a shift in terms of government support moving from supporting the classic SMEs, which in many cases are not really growth-oriented, but more or less to support in building their capacities in management and in some cases to help them in exporting, etc. cetera. Uh, but the trend has been shifting uh, much more uh, to realize that SMEs and entrepreneurs are a big chunk of the economies. And therefore, if you look at the trend, uh, whether in terms of uh, acceleration of these services or uh, the government support to SMEs and entrepreneurship, it has been heavily happening in the last five years. And you would see that happening in the form of investment laws and SME laws and uh, 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 startup laws that are coming up across the reason, a region. But as well, you would see those coming up in the form of establishment of new entities that are supporting the development of SMEs and entrepreneurs. And our message here is that this is, yes, a very important part of the agenda. It is part of shaping the future, uh, but at the same time, we need to make sure that the government is doing the right thing to support this momentum rather than obstruct it. And therefore, uh, the report that we have just worked on is, is basically focusing on what do you need to tell the decision makers and the policy makers in the Arab world about this trend and how to work uh, on supporting it and how to be uh, comprehensive in your approach rather than supporting bits and bytes of the uh, the, the, the different uh, scheme. Sure. So this report, how, was it surveyed? So did you bring entrepreneurs together? And then I believe you did this because a lot of the entrepreneurs came to WEF. 
Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what the whole kind of strategy behind the report was? Yeah, I mean, it's a joint cooperation between the World Economic Forum and the World Bank. It's the second of its kind. Uh, last year, we had a, a similar type of uh, cooperation in Africa, uh, and this time uh, we wanted to do it in MENA. And the, the, the main focus of this year's report was around entrepreneurship. So uh, we had uh, fairly limited time, actually, to prepare the report, uh, probably less than uh, six, eight months. So it didn't uh, allow us to do a rigorous uh, survey that covers uh, the whole region, but instead what we've done uh, was surveying the top 100 uh, entrepreneurs in MENA who were selected by a panel of professionals across the region and then invited to a networking event with top CEOs in the Dead Sea here in Jordan, May 2017. And uh, the survey covered uh, parts around their traits, uh, the journey of their entrepreneurship uh, uh, endeavor, as well as uh, what are their perceptions on the big challenges or the role of government. And we followed a comprehensive approach in that where we had to uh, look into different domains of the ecosystem uh, the, that, that are uh, important to support any entrepreneur in the region. So usually when you come in to do a report of this style and you've already kind of brought in 100 of the best of the top entrepreneurs of the region, what was very surprising? So I mean, when you, yeah. you, you come in and then you get the results out, mm. and then you're like, wow, I really didn't expect that yeah. to, to really show up in this report. Yeah. So yeah. please tell us what are some of the takeaways from I this. I mean, first, let me tell you before the, the startups. I mean, on the macro picture, there were some surprising, in a bad way, uh, findings. I mean, we want to hear about Understanding all <laughs> that uh, the region has the lowest uh, unemployment. It has the highest youth unemployment. Uh, uh, sorry, highest for both, and, and uh, the lowest female participation after South Asia. So these are very serious points. If you look at the uh, entry uh, rate of uh, companies, and it's usually measured by number of LLC per 1,000 working age uh, population, in MENA, or the Arab world, it is 1.2 companies for every 1,000 person. Uh, while the average in the good OECD countries, or good performing ones, is 6.5. And if you look at like uh, some places like where we, we're talking now in Jordan, it's even 0.6 uh, company uh, per every 1,000. So it's one-tenth of the OECD level. So these are striking ones and uh, really is, are telling you that you're really behind uh, in the region uh, uh, with some variations where some places in the Gulf are performing better than Levant. Levant is performing better than the conflict-affected uh, countries. So there are variations. So now going to the 100 entrepreneurs and what was uh, really unique about them, I guess uh, 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 interestingly, but similar to the traits in the US, uh, those people were not fresh graduates. I mean, those people uh, who made it to, 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 to cities A and B were actually uh, people with at least uh, seven to 10 years of experience. So they were in the age range of 30 to 40 years old. Uh, they worked for corporations before, they liked to work in groups, so, uh, and they had received some support across their journey, like mentorship and others. Uh, and at the same time, uh, it's important to see that many of them are actually, or a very good percentage, which is more than 30%, are women-led uh, businesses. So that's an optimistic uh, one. In terms of awareness and culture of how are they perceived in their economies, uh, it's interesting that most of them thought that uh, they had a bigger fear of failure 
which is much higher than the average norm in the region that was per, like measured by uh, some of the uh, uh, GEM reports and others. Uh, so that was one of the questions we had to dig into, and we found that because that they had that fire under them and they wanted to really prove, prove that themselves. they're success, yeah, yeah. successful, so they made it to the top, and that was an interesting one. So if you have that fear of failure, I mean, you should be okay. Yeah. I mean, the guys, push who made go it, harder. Yeah, the guys who made it to the top had that feeling, so you are okay. You're on the right track. Right. So it's, yeah. it's a normal thing for an entrepreneur to feel, uh, feel of failure. That's fantastic. How do we rate, though? I mean, when you say... It's interesting to find that the ones that made the top 100 um, were of, a, of an age group that wasn't necessarily a fresh graduate, yeah. right? So they had some experience under the belt and were able to kind of uh, take the company to where it needed to go. Do you see that that's um, kind of a norm in other regions? And how do we compare uh, uh, you know, with, with other places? Yeah. Do you see fresh graduates in other places in the world really coming in and becoming the top 100? Is it, is it a, a, a function of our educational system maybe? Or is it uh, you really need to get into the workforce to understand how to overcome some of the challenges that are very specific to our region that you need to be a little bit older and, and mature to be able to deal with them? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a good question. Actually, I mean, uh, I don't have numbers from around the world, but the U.S. is actually telling us from the statistics that uh, the average age of entrepreneur is around uh, 42 or 43. And uh, the range for the uh, the hike in your or the the, the spike in your uh, age uh, brackets is 40 to 50 to start a successful business. So this was actually a recent MIT analysis that looked at the different traits of entrepreneurs, uh, high growth entrepreneurs in the region and they, in the U.S. Sorry, and they found that those who were 40 to 50 were the most successful. The median age is 43, and then uh, some had arguments of look. So how about Mark? Mark Zuckerberg or uh, Bill Gates, and then they went to look at the books, and they found that the best time for these two companies to make profit was actually when they were above 40 years old. <laughs> so yes, they started earlier, but the real money making was like yeah, come at the stage where you are like really mature in that. So I don't think Jordan, I mean Jordan or Mena uh, is 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 different to that, and I think it is very uh, uh, true that you need to have the right uh, technical. Uh, rigor so that you can get into business that you know the in and out of it and you're experienced enough but yet young enough to take it on to the next step. Fantastic. I think uh, from our perspective at Wanda as well, we've seen the number of, of deals that come in for entrepreneurs that are raising funding and we spoke about this a little bit before the podcast. There is a major shift that's happening over the past four or five years in the region. We're seeing a lot more startups, a lot more funding coming into place, investors that we haven't heard of before that are coming and actually supporting these these. Yeah. Uh, these startups, um, as this grows, and, and clearly there's a big footprint that's coming, what kind of you know, sort of private or, or policy changes need to take place? Yeah. I mean, some of the stuff that you would go out to, I, I suppose now that you know, once the report is out, it's really to be able to change policy and support some yeah. of these entrepreneurs moving forward. Yeah. What do you think the next step is now that the report is out? <coughs> well. I think the next step, uh, first, in terms of communication, we need to discuss this with policymakers across the region. But in terms of findings, uh, policymakers have to look at the comprehensive picture of ecosystem development, uh, and at the same time, look at the journey of entrepreneurs from the minute they are individuals who aspire to start a business up to the point when they exit their business. So there's a journey, and the type of support that they would need in every stage of the journey is different to one the other. 
So the policymakers have to be comprehensive. They need to make sure that this is a, a bottom-up approach. So it's not really like you're only supporting a specific groups of like the elite or the high-growth entrepreneurs, and you're 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 neglecting the rest of the domain. Uh, and at the same time, you need to ensure that you have some of the uh, uh, interesting new uh, ways of using entrepreneurship to address specific uh, failures in the market. And we have seen a lot of models around social entrepreneurship that makes that happen. And in some cases, it's very commercial, where you have partnership between large corporation uh, uh, in, 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 in the Arab world with an accelerator trying to resolve a specific problem and ending up with a business model that addresses that very specific problem and then ending up as a supplier or an, uh, an, a company that is being invested by a large corporation. So I'm saying that you need to look at your situation, but give the leadership uh, to the uh, entrepreneurship ecosystem to form itself. And instead of putting the parameters of this is how it should be, let it flow and grow organically. And at the same time, build on that momentum to give them the support they require. How difficult is that for governments to really grasp that? Because typically a government is controlling, yeah. saying, listen, this is the structure and we need checks and balances yeah. every step of the way, yeah. which becomes you know, very difficult to yeah. deal with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you're, 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 you're talking about a very flexible kind mm. of structure that's there. Mm. Um, where in other jurisdictions around the world has this really you know, worked? Mm. Are, we, are we trying to follow some precedent that has happened elsewhere that we know that if we instill these you know, different kind of checks yeah. and balances and support from the government, mm. it's going to lead us to where we need to go? Or are we a completely new kind of paradigm that we have to look into for the region? Yeah, well, the governments are not usually receptive to this dialogue. Uh, and probably now they are getting into it. And I'm saying this because there was a lot of skepticism in the uh, last decade on how rewarding is this industry. I mean, not industry, but I mean entrepreneurship development as an industry. And uh, that is, from one point of view, might be uh, relevant if you are uh, someone who looks at the growth output, number of jobs created. Uh, but that was 10 years ago. I mean, today, the scene in MENA is very different. It took the region uh, probably uh, six years from the first exit that was very well known of Maktoub, uh, to Yahoo in 2009, until you got to Talabat in 2015, the Kuwaiti company. And then you had the boom of Souq.com in uh, 2017. So there is a pace of acceleration that is paying off. And uh, if you look at the case of Souq.com, uh, they have managed to hire uh, 350 people. Now they have increased the number to 500. Uh, with the Amazon operation in Jordan, they might hit the number of 2,000 in a couple of years. So there is an impact for such work. So now it is the right time for our governments to look back and say, no, this could be rewarding. How can we capitalize on this momentum and move forward. Now, if you, you ask me about other countries, I mean, many countries have done it. I mean, it's all about setting the strategy of what do we want to do here. So the very old model, I mean, I'm not going to talk about the US, but the very old model that worked very well was Ireland, for instance. I mean, in Ireland, they said we want to get FDIs that are sophisticated, make sure that our uh, uh, people, the youth, are part of the uh, labor uh, force of these companies. They will learn over time, and then many of them have spun off. 
they either worked as suppliers for these big companies or they uh, started their own businesses and worked in something else that is similar. So today, if you look at Ireland, is one of the biggest entrepreneurship hubs in Europe. So if you have the strategy that I need to support this thing, it is possible. Now, if I look at the very specific situation in MENA, the geographies here are very small. So if you look at the geographies of Jordan, uh, Bahrain, Dubai, UAE, it's still very small, I mean, except for probably Saudi Arabia and Egypt. Uh, uh, and therefore, uh, developing an ecosystem, it wouldn't be like working on an ecosystem in, in Ireland uh, or, or US, because you would need to look at the region as one big uh, unit uh, inst or one big ecosystem. Uh, and therefore, for policymakers, it's important to understand that entrepreneurship development in places like MENA cannot be bound by one country's geography. It has to extend beyond that. And the trend has been uh, supporting that over the last uh, few years. I mean, you've seen uh, uh, how these investments are moving from all around MENA to go to Dubai. And uh, the recent report that uh, Wanda has contributed to uh, in MENA Ventures has said that 84% of the uh, investments in 2017 uh, were actually made in UAE. But only, I think, 3 or 4% were originated in UAE. And most of them were coming from abroad. So that is something you should be happy to support. And you would think that it could make a big difference for your employment, for your growth, for your sophistication, and at some point also to support in getting the investment to your own country. Absolutely. I mean, when we look at those kind of figures, and when we look at the region as the MENA region, then we understand that, yes, the primary markets for these startups they could start in the Levant, but then eventually they'll have to go to Saudi or they'll have to go to Egypt and then scale in order to, to, to start scaling in a big way. Um, how do you see brain drain as, you know, from Jordan? I mean, is, mm. is, it, is it viewed as the entrepreneur needs to stay here for us to really uh, take that as a successful factor? Or is it okay if they go, but not within a wider geography than the MENA region, as long as they're around here? Yeah. Or is it really that the back office operations are happening yeah. uh, in Jordan? I mean, what, how do you de define that a little bit? <coughs> well, it's happening. I mean, brain drain is happening, and that's unfortunate. Uh, the, the, the only, I don't have uh, a strong say on uh, yes or no, but if, 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 I mean, if it's a good thing or not. But on a personal level, I would say that if, if you decide to go elsewhere to build an opportunity, uh, then make sure you have your connection, your business connection to home. And at the point where your business is doing well, there is a good opportunity for your business to be the back office support for your global uh, endeavor. So that's one way to look at it. And I think even governments should support that trend if it happens. Uh, and it's happening in some cases. Um, yeah. So we really have to look at the interconnectivity of the whole region and not be kind of you know, focused on just one geography yeah. because these companies can't just you know, live off of one market, yeah. especially that they're small markets. Yeah, if when, when we ask those top entrepreneurs what would be your important uh, uh, next step and what would we help you with, I mean, many of them said access to markets. So I guess yeah. that's very, very true. I mean, if the government can uh, play a role in building these linkages, and probably it's in the, road, uh, in the, in the role of uh, convening conferences, business-to-business -business meetings, ro road shows, and stuff like that for high-growth entrepreneurs. And at the same time, 
uh, having the kind of an arrangement with them that if you guys made it and brought the investment, we'll need to have your back offices here in yeah. Jordan. And and these back offices, but by the way, I've, I've seen some very interesting models here in Jordan where some big companies like Zane are supported by some remote stations in unprivileged communities in Jordan. They're doing just great. So you can replicate that model. I mean, if you have like 15 or 20 or 30 high growth entrepreneurs, they manage to become uh, like large companies with investments coming from Dubai or Jeddah or elsewhere, then if you, they have back offices, there could be a role for the government to help in building the capacity of some of the youth in unprivileged communities to work for these guys, whether as employees or back office support uh, or even suppliers. Sure. You mentioned about Ireland and their, and their model and how they were able to bring in um, sort of FDI yeah. coming in investments straight into the country. We're seeing that almost start to happen here, right? With Expedia and Jordan, yeah. we want to bring in more. What does the what does the government need to do, or what's your message to say, you know, come in? This is this is kind of fertile ground to do that. Yeah, my message, and I'm sure, and I've heard that actually from the government. They they're pretty. Uh, have the same message that services is a very important sector in Jordan and the most important asset here in Jordan is the human capital. So we need to ensure that we have the best uh, knowledge provided to these uh, uh, individuals, whether it's in the form of uh, higher education or in the form of bridging training programs that would help them uh, get to the labor market. So uh, looking into the FDI perspective, uh, the foreign direct investments, uh, you would also uh, argue that probably the most uh, uh, suitable way to capitalize on these human ca this human capital in Jordan is to bring in FDIs of high sophistication. The Expedia model is an excellent one. They came in in May. They have hired so far 100 people. Uh, they're all like high quality uh, uh, jobs. So if you can uh, help in getting more FDIs like those people, that would be very important. How to make it happen? You have a lot of things to do. I mean, things around entry, like how to start a business, things about having the right facilities provided by the private sector in terms of buildings that are open space enough to get these people in. Also in talent acquisition and what are the mechanisms here to get the right people uh, for the company depending on the specialization required. So these uh, kind of uh, measures uh, are part of what the government could do to attract these FDIs in, in addition to promotion, of course. I mean, you would need to go around the world and get some of these industry experts with you and try to get uh, these FDIs to Jordan. And if it happens, then you're starting a new base in the region for such work. This has also some uh, implications on some of the infrastructure. I mean, I would say uh, Jordan has a fairly okay uh, internet infrastructure. I mean, it's still below the world average, even in broadband or mobile uh, speed. Uh, if you want to become a hub for the region, that's another angle to look at. This is beyond just research. I mean, the World Bank does a lot of things. There are several initiatives, and we had a Wanda Mixon mentor uh, a couple of weeks ago in, in Amman when we were highlighting some of the incentives and some of the programs that are up and coming in Jordan. Uh, I understand that the World Bank had a lot to do with them. Can you give us some insight on, on the new up and coming ISSF fund, for yep. example, and other things that are happening? 
Well, we believe that uh, Jordan, as I said, has the biggest asset of human capital, and entrepreneurship is a big driver for the economy moving forward. It has, as I said, to go bottom-up approach, so we have to engage the unprivileged uh, communities in the hype. Uh, and therefore, we have designed the first program, uh, which is, as you said, the Innovative Startup Fund that was uh, developed based on uh, analysis for the ecosystem that showed that there are a lot of things to do in terms of ecosystem development. In some cases, it's around building up the angel network so that individuals can invest within networks in businesses and as well working on developing some acceleration programs in, in, in partnership with large corporations, but also in fields that are not very common and away from IT. And we see some of them are happening now in Jordan, like acceleration in agri agriculture or ag acceleration in, in fintech or other areas. So based on our numbers globally, the companies that manage to grow are those who manage to uh, adapt uh, their operations to the new technologies. So if you make this partnership happen between innovative entrepreneurs and the large corporations, you can come up uh, uh, with new ideas and also with new sectors that have not been into technology before. So the project has two parts. Uh, as I said, the first is around ecosystem development, and the second is about financing. On the ecosystem development, it's going to be the angel network development. It's going to be supporting some acceleration program as well as supporting investment readiness. So if you are an individual who would like uh, uh, or an existing business who would like to raise fund, you should be able to get some training on what does it take to be investment ready and then help you get to that level so that then you can apply for fund. On the funding side, it has two windows. One of them is to give funds to acceleration programs and smaller funds that would like to uh, directly uh, invest in companies. So if you go to uh, an, an accelerator uh, and would like to work with them, that accelerator can come to ISSF and ask for funding. And the other is that ISSF could fund directly or invest directly in companies uh, with uh, the due diligence required and making sure that the private sector is also interested in funding. So that's on the ISSF, uh, which is the major project that we're working on. But that, in that's addition, a $100 million fund, right? That's a, that's a $50 million loan that was from provided the from the World Bank, and then the government has matched that, and now have an organization to run uh, or, or to manage the implementation. So that was the start of it, and now uh, we're putting on in the pipeline also another operation, which is around youth technology and jobs. And I'm, I'm actually now looking into ways of how can we be uh, creative but very uh, much accustomed to the local uh, norms in Jordan in helping uh, youth uh, to become uh, good employees at the startup community as well as helping them get part of those this back office support type. So we're still in the, 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 the development of that phase. It's not yet uh, there and it would take probably a year to be ready. Uh, but this is something coming up in the in the next uh, year or two. Does the World Bank also work with other countries to be able to make those connections together? So for example, a fund would come up in Jordan, but then I know PIF in Palestine is doing cer certain things around innovation, maybe places in the GCC as well. Do you also work in terms of making sure that there are these connections that are happening across the region? We have not done that before. The first uh, endeavor was actually the networking event with WEF. But this is very much under the radar now. I mean, uh, it's it's part of our internal discussion how to work on the, doing these connections. And as I said earlier, uh, uh, 
even if investments are happening in places like Dubai mostly, uh, ideas and talent is, is available elsewhere. And I guess from our survey, uh, it showed that more than 40% of ideas, actually not from our survey, from the regional VC uh, analysis, more than 40% of ideas that came to Dubai last year uh, were actually from Jordan and Lebanon. So we think it's important to create that kind of a network that gets at least Egypt, uh, Jordan, Lebanon, Saudi Arabia, and UAE into one place to talk about how can we work together uh, in an institutional way. It's not only about investment. It's also about uh, uh, building some ecosystem connections. So I remember last year the Bank du Liban uh, has funded uh, a, a cohort together with Babson College in Beirut. And the graduates from that acceleration cohort went to Dubai to get their investments. And that was a very institutional way of doing business. So it's happening. I mean, uh, but you need to make it more institutional. So now we are considering to have a forum, honestly. Uh, and that's something I'm talking about for the first time, uh, probably in Jordan or Lebanon to get together the regional players and see how we can connect like those in acceleration with those in the funding domain, angels together, uh, working around incubation acceleration and other forms of possible support. Makes sense. Mr. Ali Abukmil, it's been an honor and a pleasure to, to talk to you with you today. Thank you for making the time. It's been uh, very insightful and we hope you to have you on the program again. No, it was my, my pleasure and privilege. Thank you very much for this opportunity. Thank you. Take care.